Good morning, good morning. Glad you're here. You made it. You're in Dallas, Oregon, here worshiping the Lord. That's what we do every Sunday. Glad you're here. I was a youth minister before I got into the preaching thing that I do most weekends now. And there's a game that we played a lot in youth group. And sometimes we used it kind of as a fundraiser if we needed to, but most of the time it was just to, you know, just to have some fun and uh, get out to our community. And there's this game that we, we play called Bigger and Better. Who's heard of this game, Bigger and Better? Anybody? Okay, well, here's how it works because, yeah, you're still waking up. I get that. You start with something small. You know, it could be like, you know, it could be a watch. It could be a, a really nice pin, something like this, something small. And the idea is that you would trade up. So you'd go around to, you know, maybe families at church, go to knock on their door, and you say, what, what do you have that's, that's bigger and better than this? And sometimes it's more valuable, or sometimes it's literally physically bigger. And so you go through this process, and usually in the youth group, there's a couple of teams, and you're playing against each other to find out who can get the bigger and better object. And uh, now is some of that familiar for some of you? So you do this thing, and you keep trading up and trading up, and sometimes... You know, you you could start with a pencil, and you could end up with, like, an appliance. And uh, literally that happens. Or, you know, you trade up. I I don't think anybody's gotten a vehicle yet. But you you trade up, and it's amazing how generous people can be because they kind of have it. It's fun for them, too. And so it's a cool thing uh, to to do that in youth group and play that over and over again. And uh, I was trying to think the weirdest thing that we got when I was was doing it. I feel like, yeah, we got, like, a a refrigerator. Ended up with a a big refrigerator. And... uh, then, of course, there's like, what do we do with the refrigerator? I don't know. We won the contest. Now we have to deal with this refrigerator. But uh, bigger and better. The thing is, it's, it's human nature a little bit. I mean, we're kind of like that. We, we, we like better. Like, we like good. Good's good. Uh, but if we get a little better, we can like that better. It's like if you've ever been to a restaurant, some of you, maybe you, you've gone to a nice restaurant or whatever, and you order something, and they're out of what you ordered. Has that ever, ever happened to anybody? So you order something, it's on the menu, says it's there, and then they say, oh, we're out of it, or we're, we, you know, we don't have any more beef. I don't know how that happens when you're in a restaurant. Anyway, but then they want to offer you basically something maybe a little nicer on the menu that you didn't order, but kind of to, you know, to kind of deal with the issue they didn't have what you ordered. Sometimes that's an upgrade. That can happen in food, but it can also happen like when you're traveling. And I've, I've never actually purchased a first-class plane ticket. Anybody else, anybody in here ever been on first class, just tried it? Okay, some of you have, and that's okay. Uh, we flew first class, Jackie and I did, on, on one or two flights. We used to live in Tennessee, and we'd come back regularly to the Northwest here to have, you know, for, for holidays or whatever. And uh, we couldn't afford first class. But sometimes, depending on the flight, you might get a call to come up forward in the plane. And there's something special about that feeling. Uh, and uh, and there, was, there was a couple times where in one of those flights, you know, it usually wasn't both flights. In, in Tennessee, usually, you, you know, Nashville would fly to some other hub, and then from that hub would go to Portland. So it was never like a straight through. We never, we couldn't really afford the straight through ticket. But there was one time we got an upgrade in Nashville, and we flew all the way to, I can't remember, Minneapolis or whatever, and they offered us first class. And I just remember that feeling of, getting to come forward in the plane, and you start to walk a little taller. You start to walk a little taller, and you're, you're kind of feeling good about yourself. You feel like, I've, I've, I've arrived. And you get to the front of that plane, or they get you there, and of course, they treat you really nice. You know, there might be a little nice towel for you. I don't know what the towel's for. It's like, oh, I'm famished. I just walked, you know, 
I don't know, five seats, but now I'm famished. I need this towel. And they treat you so nice. And it's a good thing on that flight that Jackie and I were actually, you know, we, we kind of had some nice clothes on. Because at least then, I don't know if it's still the same now, but then you kind of needed to look, you needed to have, you were, you were dressed well to be in first class. They kind of made sure that those folks looked a little, little nicer. So we're very thankful that uh, we were both kind of wearing something nice. I used to travel uh, and I would always be in a suit because I didn't want to put that in my my luggage. And so it wasn't like I was trying to be all that. It was just that it was a practical thing. So I actually had a suit on. And they were like, sir, would you like to come first class? Well, mind if I do. And it was a wonderful experience. But that bigger and better, it's something in us. We like the bigger. When I was a kid, um, we, uh, we, we, we had my brother, older brother, my younger brother, my mom, and she was a single mom doing awesome, very difficult. We, uh, we had, you know, a, a wonderful time growing up. We didn't do a lot of TV uh, we listened to a lot of radio, um, and we played a lot of games because that's something we can afford, but it was actually good for us. Um, but one of the things that I remember as a kid is uh, we used to not get name brand cereal. You know, there was like, uh, you know what I'm talking about? You go into Winco or whatever. It's not Fruit Loops. I wanted Fruit Loops. My friends had Fruit Loops, or they had like Captain Crunch or whatever. But in our, in our house, we had like, you know... <laughs> you know, fruit-like loops, and, and uh, you know, uh, not checks or whatever, but they were like wheat wafers or whatever, you know what I mean? You get them in the bulk packages, and I just remember how good it felt when sometimes we could have, maybe we got a little bit better, that, and we got to have a name brand cereal. That felt really good, especially when I get into high school, and I was wearing those, you know, like tough skin jeans, you know, and I got to have some Levi's. That felt really good. It was an upgrade. It was, it was a little bit better. All right, why am I talking about all this? I keep going round and round. We are talking about something better in this entire series. And we've been looking at how Jesus is better than anything, any system, any religion, and especially better than the Old Covenant. And that's really what the writer's been trying to help us understand, that the Old Testament has some great things, but it, it was obsolete once Christ came. This canceled that old code. And so the writer's been telling us, Jesus did that, but it's way better. Everything's way better because of what Jesus did for us. So if you have a Bible or a device, try to find Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 8. We uh, did chapter 7 last weekend. We're talking about that mysterious order of Melchizedek. And uh, so this weekend, we're continuing the story and getting into chapter 8. And we've got a big chunk to read, so we're going to spend time doing that. Let's, let's pause for a minute and ask the Lord to speak to hearts this morning. Lord, we come before you, and we're so thankful that you hear our prayers every day, including today. This is the first day of the week. Father, we gather like this to take a deep breath, to hit the reset button, and to hear from you. Father, may your word be powerful as we hear it, and we would take it to heart. Lord, I pray that you'd open our ears, soften our hearts, open our minds to the truth that you have for us today, and we look at Jesus as our priest. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so chapter 8, starting with verse 1, I'm going to read it here in the uh, English Standard Version. What's going to be up on screen is just going to be highlights as we go through these uh, couple of chapters. Let's just start with verse 1. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand on the of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary uh, for this priest 
also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Since it is enacted on better promises. That's what we learned last week. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For, For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. So I showed them, I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law, my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they will be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one, listen to this, obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Likely within the the lifetimes of the very people who are hearing this for the first time. That means, in a sense, the temple is going to be destroyed. All of these sacrifices are going to come to an end, literally. Verse verse 1 of chapter 9. Now, Even the first covenant had regulations for worship in an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. The first section in which the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Having the golden altar of incense and and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot speak in detail. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties, but into the second, uh, into the second only the high priest goes, but he, but, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. By, the, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for this present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered. They cannot, listen to this, they cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. But when Christ, those those words are important, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of his creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, 
thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from the dead works to serve the living God? Therefore, important word, he is the mediator of what? A new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death. Since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. For when he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once and so after that comes judgment. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers have have once been cleansed and would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it's impossible, once again, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me and burnt offerings and sin offerings. You've taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it's written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Yes, there's all those. Those are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus once and for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool at his feet. 
For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write it on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Do you see what the writer's doing here? Sometimes it's repetition that helps us understand what he's talking about. But we have this whole discussion here about, about the priesthood and about what Christ did versus what the priests have to do. And there's a sense that every day these sacrifices had to happen, but what, they were ineffective. They were incomplete. They were never able to deal with the conscience and so they were, they were in need of something better. And the writer's saying over and over again, that better is Jesus. So we're seeing that again here. I know that was a lot to, to kind of digest there. But it was kind of one argument, once again, bringing us, should, should be bringing us to the reality that the old covenant has been replaced. It's obsolete. Jesus has come to bring a new covenant, which means Jesus offers to take care of your sin once and for all. That's a beautiful thing. Now, a writer, you know, again, up to this point has been talking about Jesus being in the order of Melchizedek, this idea that it was God's plan from the beginning, even before Moses showed up. And then we get this deep dive into the tent and the tabernacle and the daily sacrifices. Did you notice there was a big long list in there of what the typical priest had to deal with? The sins and sacrifices, all of that. So here's the deal. We talked about the tent. And many of us, you know, we didn't grow up Jewish. We may not know all these things, but this is kind of a layout. This is an artist's rendition. This isn't actually an actual photograph, okay? Is, we didn't have cameras back then. Uh, can you imagine? Anyway, so here, here we are. We, this is like the, the tent part. Now, later, in, in Jewish history, when Solomon came on, and this is just, you know, national history for Israel, when Solomon became king of Israel, this became more of a permanent, established, you know, physical, you know, pillars and all that, more of an established temple. But this was the shadow of that, and this is the tent. And the way that it was set up is that, you know, most people, you know, couldn't go into this enclosure here where all the, the, the slaughter tables are. Notice it says slaughter tables. There's a lot of that going on. The blood of these goats and bulls and all kinds of things. So you have this temple area, and it's got a football field up here, so you can just see the scope of how big this thing is. And so we have these areas here, the, the court of the tabernacle, and you know you have priests that could, could go in here, and there was places where you could go in there, and, and the priest would, would do an offering or a sacrifice for you. Uh, sometimes those are grain and drink offerings. It wasn't always an animal had to die. Uh, but this was what was going on. Every day, the scriptures say, every day, people were bringing this in. Now, in Jesus' day, in the first century, obviously, this was more of a building. It was Herod's temple, but it resembled the same layout. So you had a place where you could go in, and, uh, and, and there were certain people allowed in different spots. But once you get into that, that building there at the end, that's where it gets dicey. That is the building that contains the holy place, which is the first curtain, and then the most holy place, which is that second curtain. Now, who alone could go into the second curtain, the most holy place? Does anybody know? Only the high priest, right? And that was only one day a year. We call that Yom Kippur. 
We'll talk about that in a minute. But that was the only place, the Day of Atonement, that the Holy of Holies could be entered by simply the, the one holy high priest. And so all these things were set up. And the writer's telling us these things were happening every day. People coming in there, you know, the priest doing the thing, they're, they're, they're trying to get all these, uh, the right sacrifices at the right time, the right offering, different times of the year. This was so crucial. And any good growing up Jewish boy or girl understood how this worked. Many of us, again, didn't grow up with this. So this is kind of a little strange for us, thinking about sacrifices and offerings and the right place to stand and certain times, certain buildings and places in the buildings. Some of that's foreign to us. But for every Jewish boy and girl who grew up in this first century, they would understand some of this. And they probably even went to the temple. If you were a good Jewish boy, you were at least there three times a year for the different feasts and everything. Now, they're, they're, this was a tent part of it, but later when, in the first century, they actually had a building kind of resembling the same idea. In fact, the early church would go here and they would meet in some of the courtyards around the, what, was now, what was then Herod's temple. And so the early church kind of formed around some of these outer areas and, uh, and sometimes they got in trouble for some of that. But this was what the writer's referring to here about where these priests were and, and what was important about each area. And, and the writer reminds us, God told Moses to set it up exactly like this. Now, if you're, you're familiar with the Bible, the book of Exodus and Leviticus kind of covers a lot of this. And it's super hard to navigate. I'll just tell you that right now. I mean, it is so specific and the, the curtains and the colors and what the priests wore. And, you know, you, some of you have been trying to go through the Bible. Maybe every year you start, you start at Genesis chapter 1 and you start marching through it. And then you get to Exodus and it's starting to get dicey now. Then you get to Leviticus and you're like, I can't do this. I don't understand. Part of it is this. The setup of worship that God said, this is a pattern. But what does the writer here tell us? This wasn't the end of all. This was like a shadow of what was to come. You see, when Jesus went to that cross and he died, there was a temple that, that, that then, and that inner curtain, that second curtain, ripped from top to bottom. The connection of what Jesus did, his blood, sacrifice, trumped everything. So we see the shadow here of what was to come. Does that make sense? It was kind of like helping us understand this is where we're headed. God always had this plan. It wasn't like, oh no, people sinned in the garden, now i got to do something about it. He knew right away he had a plan from the beginning. And so the writer's telling us this is just a shadow of what was to come. Now I promised you last week that I would do a day in the life of a priest. And it's interesting that you know, some people kind of look at my role as kind of like that you know, like a, a priest or whatever. And we talked about last week, I think, uh, where I go with my, my grandma to church. She was a Catholic. And there was the guy up front with a collar and everything like that. We all have different versions of what the, the priests are, or the pastors or the ministers. Uh, some traditions, you know, my role would be considered a reverend. I kind of like that one, you know, the reverend. Maybe like the grand reverend, Ben. But I don't think it really fits. I don't deserve that respect, but... But the, the priest had a different role. I'm telling you, what these guys did then, radically different. Yes, in similar, you know, I lead prayers and I kind of help with their gatherings here. But what these priests did was like a whole nother level. These folks had to show up to work with sharp knives. I'm not sure if they issued you a knife when you came in, but you better have them sharp because you've got a full day ahead of you. Let me just give you a little bit of glimpse of what these folks, these priests would have to do every day. Well, first of all, 
You had to be from a specific line. Does anybody remember what the line is? Certain family line. Levi. Levi, the Levites, right? The Levites were important. They were the ones that were supposed to be kind of guarding the stuff and making sure everything happened with the feasts and festivals. So number one, you had to have the right family line, okay? That had to happen first. You pass that, okay, then you begin to get into this rhythm of being a priest. And, and first of all, your robe had to be just so. Had to be clean, had to be dedicated, purified. So the, the robe was important. You had to show up to work. You're gonna be, you're gonna, there's going to be blood splattering. You better show up to work with a nice robe. And then, this is something I read. This is in Exodus. I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. You had to wash your hands before coming in here. And it was so important. Do you know what the penalty was if you did not wash your hands? You died. It's an exodus. Look it up. You didn't wash your hands. You, you were in trouble. You were in bad shit. You had to wash your hands before going through any of this. Why? Because it matters. You're entering close to God. Right? So there's a sense of if you're going to approach God, you need to, you, need to, you know, be ready. You need to be clean. Your robe needs to be clean, and your hands need to be clean. You know how many times I've been in the men's bathroom, and I see guys leave without washing their hands? I want this. I want that scripture put in every public bathroom. Now, some of you gals are like, oh, I'm sure all the guys washed your hands. Okay. Anyway, you lost your life if you didn't wash your hands. Okay, that's just, that's, we're just like scratching the surface with this. So then you had, to, you had to know the laws. So Ian comes to you, or, 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 or you know, anybody comes to you and says, I, I did this or whatever, I, or I, I bought a piece of property and I want to dedicate it. You had to know how all of that worked. You had to know like, what he's supposed to bring, because he, you know, he may not know, uh, well, you have just two, two doves and you have to sacrifice them this way. Again, your knife, your knife better be sharp. Because in the day, you're going to have child dedications, purifications, offerings for sin, offerings for new crops, celebration offerings. So you had to know the law really well if you were a priest. Familiarity with all that. You had to know what was clean and unclean. And, and you know, some normal human stuff would make you unclean. You had to know what that was because then, well, you couldn't come into certain areas. You had to have a sacrifice for that. Then you, you couldn't have normal worship until you had seven days or whatever it might be. You know, women kind of had a rough time here too because, you know, menstrual cycle, all that stuff required, you know, time for clean and unclean. It was like you had to know all of that law. You had to know the purification rites, the rituals, you know. You had to have a good connection with the high priest because he probably was like your go-to person. All right, so what do I do about, you know, this guy just bought a new iPad. What, which purification do I have to do with that? You had to know the laws. You had purification duty. Now, this would have been interesting. If you had, like, skin diseases and stuff, there was, like, certain rules. You know, that would have been the worst part, right? You're almost kind of like a, 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 you know, a medical professional now. So if you're a priest, you kind of had to, you I mean, you're looking at, like, you ever had that situation where you're in a situation, you know, people are saying, oh, I, I get this, this scar, you know, it was crazy. And, then, and you get into this huge, like, uh, competition of who's got the worst scar. Well, that's nothing. See this. These guys had to do, like, looking at, like, skin variations and try to figure out, I mean, they're like a medical professional, but it's like before modern medicine. So they had to do some of these purifications if someone had different discharges and you had to know when to anoint oil and when to give them a... a, a, a you know, a period of time, it, it, you'd have to know all that. And then, of course, you also had to be a good bread baker. Because 
in the holy place, not the holy of holies, there's a few things going on there that needed to be continually kept up. There's this lamp. You got to keep oil in it and not just any oil. You can't put vegetable oil in that. It has to be pressed olive oil, pressed virgin olive oil had to go in that thing. So that's got to be going all the time. You got to keep that going. That can't ever go out or else. <laughs> I mean, you had to be, this is serious work. When you went as a priest, you're wondering if I'm, am I going to survive today? Like that's your whole goal is to make it through the day. You get home to, you know, your spouse and you're like, I made it another day. When's my next, uh, you know, cycle that I have to go through this. And, and you had to keep the bread on the table. You had to be a bread baker. You had to make sure the bread of the presence is always there. Fresh bread. That must have smelled good. Probably to counteract all the other things that are going on when you're killing animals and they're doing that sort of thing. You, you, also, you also had to make sure that the incense was burning. And so you had those three things that had to be going on all the time. So all that's maintenance. You've got to keep all that stuff going up. And then, of course, there's three big feasts that everybody would come to, you know, the capital city later, capital city, but there were, there were many feasts that you had to kind of be in charge of. So you were also kind of the, uh, you know, if you're a priest, you had to make sure that all those feasts happened just right. And there were many of them. I'm not going to list all of them, but there was, you know, the weekly Sabbath. That was, that was kind of a, a thing where the priests were basically working. Everybody else is supposed to be not working. The priests are working. So every week there was a Sabbath. There's the Passover. You got to celebrate the Passover. And that requires, you've got to know how to do that. The lamb's got to be this way. It can't have a blemish. Uh, then you have the first, first fruits. That's harvest. You have the Feast of Weeks. You have the trumpets. You have the booths. You have the Day of Atonement. You have to know how all of those worked. Are you, are, you, are you worn out yet? I'm not done. Okay, so then there's the offerings. You had to know the offerings. And there are five major types of offerings in the Old Testament. There's the burnt offering. You burn the whole thing up. And now sometimes, well, you don't burn all of it up. Because you got to keep some for the priests, you know, because they got to eat something. Because they're not, they don't have fields of, you know, they're not, they're not out there. They got to stay there to run the temple. So they, they need some food. So some of the burnt offerings, you could take like the leg, you know, and a you know, nice juicy thigh, whatever. But the other stuff, you got to burn up. I mean, you had to know what burns up and what goes to the priest. I mean, you had to know that. And then there's like, you know, the, the, the grain offerings. At some point, you've got to bring some grain, and that has to be offered just right. And, and there's the oil that you had to know, the peace and the sin. So sometimes they're bringing you stuff to celebrate, or other times they're bringing you like guilt offerings and sin offerings. All of these things you had to know. And then, of course, there's the sacrifices, right? Now, sacrifices and offerings, they have some bleed over, but the sacrifices include burnt and peace and sin and guilt. And by the way, if it was a guilt offering, it can only be a ram. Day of Atonement, the ram would come into play at a certain point. Crazy, you'd have to know all of this. You better know it. And besides that, you, you, know, you need to know it because you're not going to eat. So there's at some point where nobody's bringing you food. There's no McDonald's. So you've got to figure out, okay, of this particular offering, I can eat you know, the, the leg. I can pull out one of those. That's going to be my lunch. You needed to know all of that. Isn't that exhausting? They had to do this. And this was happening, the scriptures tell us, daily. daily. And even when, when, the, when the, the original you know, audience heard this particular speech from Hebrews, whoever the writer is, this was still happening in Jerusalem in more of a permanent temple. But this was happening all of the time. I mean, the sounds. Just put yourself in there for a second. The sounds and the smells. Have you ever been around a slaughterhouse? Anybody? 
I grew up on a farm, so we, we cut some chickens up, and that's got a smell to it. I was, uh, there was a farm out here uh, that my wife and I would buy meat from, and uh, they would have uh, you know, slaughter trucks come out, and I watched them do a, a pig, from shooting the pig to filleting it out. I don't know the technical terms, but that was fascinating and gross. It was watching this happen. This would happen. Now, Holly said, okay, there they weren't slaughtering pigs. Okay, pigs were off limits. I get that. Some of you are like, you're going to write me an email. They didn't do pigs back then. I get that. I'm just saying I've seen that. And if you've never seen that, it's kind of interesting. I mean, it may make you want to become vegetarian. I don't know. But seeing that is kind of, it's kind of brutal. And the smells and the sounds, these guys would go to work every day. What did they come home smelling like? I used to work at a coffee roaster, and I would come home, you know, and I would smell like burnt coffee. And, uh, you know, I kind of liked the smell. Jackie hated it. But can you imagine if I was coming home every day, you know, I got to sharpen these knives again. I got to sit at the dinner table. Of course, you got to sit at the dinner table, right? That's where you're doing the, you're wiping the blood off on your shirt and your robe. She's like, I got to clean that. What are you smelling like? This is what happened every day. And there was a rotation necessary because of it. There was actually a priestly rotation. Because there's no way you could... Can you imagine the arthritis in your hands from how many things you're cutting and slicing and doing this? You'd be exhausted every day. In fact, there was a certain point where you couldn't be a priest you know, younger than a certain spot, but then you couldn't get past a certain age before you were done with your rotation. I think it was age 50, if I remember right. Like that was your kind of forced retirement was age 50. And that was, that's what, what happened all the time. Your body would be aching all the time. Now, let me ask you a question. Because when we think about what they did and think about sacrifices and that sort of thing, I think our dander gets up a little bit. Like, we read that and you're like, is that really necessary? That seems kind of cruel, doesn't it? It feels like all that blood and all that stuff, like every day, that just seems excessive. Is there anything positive or helpful about an animal sacrifice. Like, what, would, what, was, what was that telling the people? When they, would, when they would bring this animal that had to deal with something in their life and they saw it killed, is there anything positive in that or anything helpful? What, what do you think that might be? Yeah, absolutely. And this, this I mean, it probably cost them something, you know, so there's that, you know, and I, you know, I grew up on a farm. We used to name our, our, some of our animals, you know, you don't want to kill Betsy, you know, people name stuff all the time. Can you imagine the kids, you know, if you had kids, you know, you know, Tweety Bird's got a, you know, what was that like? And then, and then we think about this. I had a Bible college professor say this, of all this that was going on every day, it should have signaled to people of the grave sinfulness of sin. That sin costs. Sin breaks relationship and sin matters. We're living at a day and age when it seems like there is no thing, thing of sin. You know, we, don't want to have a, we don't have adultery, we have affairs. These things sound fun and, and exciting. We, we, we've renamed sin. We don't want to talk about that anymore because it seems like you don't want to step on toes. But at some point, this at least reminded the people there's a sinfulness of sin. This thing is, is not good and it breaks relationship and uh, it hurts God's heart. And now let's talk about the Day of Atonement because that's important. The Day of Atonement was that one day a year when the high priest came into view. 
this high priest would come in, and there's a whole uh, system of this. If you want to check it out, it's Leviticus 16. If you want to be brave and wade into into Leviticus. But I know we're deep diving a little bit into the priesthood, but this is important. The Day of Atonement was this annual sacrifice. The high priest had to go in. It was the only time he could go into that second place, the Holy of Holies. And uh, and he would take uh, basically some sacrifices. And uh, before it all kind of began, there was like a young bull that had to be that had to be killed, and there was some blood going on there. That was important. There was actually another ram that had to happen there, and it's kind of confusing to know where those two animals, uh, you know, were, were sacrificed. But part of it was the, the sacrifice for the sin of the whole the high priest. But then the big part is two goats. There were two goats that had to happen in this ceremony of the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, and these two goats were important. And they would cast lots to figure out which goat got killed and which goat would be released into the wilderness as a scapegoat. That's where that whole term scapegoat came about. But then the other goat, mm-mm, not good. That goat, you know, met his end. And, and part of that sacrifice in that case, in that level, was for the unintentional sins of the people. Those sins that people didn't realize they did and didn't come to the temple or tabernacle to get taken care of. So there was this, this idea of the, 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 all these sacrifices that happened, but what if somebody forgot, right? I forgot. I, uh, you know, I cut that person off with my camel. I shouldn't have done that. And you, you got it. This is what's going to cover that unintentional sin. Isn't that interesting? All of these things taking place, all these animals. And then some of the blood would be sprinkled on what's called the mercy seat, which is this seat on top of the ark and Later, it had to be in different places because they lost the ark at some point. But these sacrifices were all important, and it showed us the sinfulness of sin. But then Jesus came. Jesus came as the mediator of a new covenant, a new and better covenant built on better promises. And he himself took the day of atonement on his own back and made obsolete all of those daily rituals, sacrifices, all of that. He was offered once and for all, we heard that several times already in this letter, in this, in this talk from Hebrews, once and for all to take away the sins of many. And then one day, we read in there, right, one day he's going to come back, not to deal with sin, but to, to bring salvation to all his children. That second coming is on its way. And, and the writer says, look, like, like any inheritance... There's a, there's a sense of those benefits aren't available until the death of the, the person writing the will or the person the will's about. Well, we have the death, but then he rose again. So all the benefits from what Christ brought on the new, media, the new covenant was enacted the moment he died, but then he rose again. So we have all of those now benefit to all those who would call Jesus Lord. He opened up all those benefits. See, the Old Testament was a shadow of what was to come. Does that make sense? A shadow of what was to come. All of those sacrifices, all the things that the priest did, Jesus came as the mediator of the new covenant, and now we get to be his beneficiaries. Anyone who calls Jesus Lord gets a chance for those, those benefits to be ours. The scriptures tell us there that we read that the priest stood daily to make these things happen. Daily it was happening, every day, to keep up with all these offerings and all of these rules. But then when Jesus came, once and for all, He took care of this, and the scriptures say that he sat down at the right hand of the Father. You know what that means? In other words, he said it on the cross. It is finished. It is finished. 
In other words, it's over. Work completed. Now we have a new covenant. See, the old covenant was written on stone. And it was written on the priest's forehead. It was written on the doorpost. This new covenant, and the writer kind of quotes Jeremiah 31 and, and Psalm 40 and Psalm 110 to show us that this new covenant is not written on the stone. It's written on human hearts and our minds. And so ultimately, you and I have a choice. Where do we base our righteousness on? Is it, is it on our own? Our own goodness? Our own success? Or do we base it on Jesus? And that's my only point today. My hope is each of us would base our life on better. Base it on Jesus. There's no way we could be a mediator in any better covenant. Only Jesus can do that for us. Base your life on better. He's the better priest, the better covenant. Listen to this that Max Lucado wrote, and I'll close with this. In Christ you've won. His victory is yours. It's like being in an athletic or athletic competition or performance, and you're told before the final round that 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 you've already won. And so, how will you perform now, knowing that the prize is yours? You'll perform like a champion because that's what you are. You'll have the applause of heaven. I love that for Max Lucado. So the challenge is today for every Christ follower in here. If you've never made Jesus your Lord, that's what you do today. You base your life on Jesus, base it on better. But if you're a follower in this room, maybe your prayer this week is, Father, where, 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 am, I, where am I not pursuing holiness? Where are some areas in my life that I'm kind of not looking at to, to, to totally turn over to the work you want to do? See, in Christ we're made perfect, and then from day one after ma- making that decision, we learn to grow in holiness. And so maybe your prayer is, Lord, where am I not growing in holiness? Can I bring your light into those areas? That may be your prayer today. I love how uh, Frank Barnett, one of our own, uh, right now he's suffering some pretty big health issues, and I appreciate you guys praying for him. But uh, I love what he always used to say to me. He said, you know, Ben, total surrender to Jesus. Total surrender. Total surrender. And he, he would say over and over, I, I've lived my life a long time, and it took me forever to realize this. Total surrender to Jesus. That's what our prayer should be. Total surrender. God, help me surrender every area of my life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your faithfulness and your mercy. Thank you for your scriptures and your word. Lord, I pray that we would leave this place changed because of what we've learned today. May your word sink deep into our hearts. And may we always base our life on better, which is Jesus. And Lord, help us so much every day to, to surrender more to you, to open every area of our life up to your holiness and the things you're working on in our lives. Lord, we are works in progress. May we continue to be open to the the things you're doing in our lives. And may we go out and change the world with your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.